Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. All right, well, thank you again for being with us. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9, as we continue our series of Be Bold in tonight's lesson, tonight's lesson is called Better Ask the Boss. Better Ask the Boss. I don't know about you, if we, if you were all with us, if we were all in here together, I would probably ask some type of question or tell some type of story about, you know, the wife being the boss of the house and making sure you get her permission to do what it is that you want to do. And, and that's kind of the idea of, of our lesson here tonight and making sure that you get proper um, authority, maybe, to, to do what you need to do. And that'll make a little more sense as we get on into the lesson. Uh, but let's, let's begin kind of reading the first couple of verses, kind of set the stage of where we are in this particular story, and then get into the story and then some lessons to take home from it at the end. So Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 kind of gives us a snapshot of what's kind of a catch-up of what's going on. It says, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. Okay, so what things have they heard of? Well, let's kind of walk through what's happened. As we start at the beginning of Joshua, we, we see them take care of some of the people that were, um, the, some of the people that were on the other side of the Jordan. And then the Jordan River parting story happens. Then they go and they take care of Jericho and it says, you know, kind of at this point that the hearts of all the kings were melting. They were scared to death. And then because Achan steals something from Jericho, they go to battle at Ai with this really small army, and they just get whipped. They just get whipped by this army, and it's because of the sin that's in their camp. And so they go back, they deal with this sin, then they go back to Ai, and, and they take care of business, and everything's great. They recommit themselves to the Lord. That's where we kind of stopped last week. Well, chapter 2 gives us, or verse 2 rather, gives us this idea that maybe not everybody is as afraid of them as they had been at one time. Because all of these kings get together, and they know that they've been defeated once. Yes, they destroyed, with God's help, they destroyed Jericho. Yes, they did finally defeat Ai. But they're seeing maybe a little bit of, 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 of hope here that maybe this God is not as great as they thought they were. Maybe this army is not as powerful as they thought they were. And so all of the, all of the uh, kings get together and they say, okay, now maybe we can take on this, this group of people and we can destroy them. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to get their forces together. Now, perhaps, and I wonder this, I wonder if it had not been for the sin of Achan and if they had just continued rolling and just rolled right through Ai the first time, I wonder if these kings would have stepped up and, and banded together or if maybe even they would have just fallen and said, hey, look, we're just going to worship your God and we're just going to do you know, what you need us to do and what you want us to do. But either way, they're kind of getting ready for battle, except for one group. 
One group decides to take a different approach. When we read this story starting in chapter 9 and verse 3, and I don't know about your Bibles, but it kind of gives us an idea of the heading. It says, The Gibeonite Deception. Sounds like a good movie title. So let's pick up in verse 3, and we'll read through verse 15 together. It says, However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wine skids, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of Him, all that He did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who reigned in Asheroth. Sorry, I can't pronounce those names tonight. Let's keep going. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. The bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home. On the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. Our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Verse 15, then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. So this group of people show up and they they have seen all that is going on. They've seen all that God has done. They 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 do recognize the power of God. And they decide to show up and instead of fighting to preserve their way of life and the things that they're going to do, they're going to plan a ruse, is what our scripture says. But now notice in verse 7, the Israelites ask the right questions. They are suspicious about what's going on. And for whatever reason, they think that something kind of fishy is going on here. And they start asking these questions, but but they are just, the story is so good. The, the deception is so good that, you know, even though they're asking the right questions, they still fall victim to this ruse. Verse, verse 14, though, is the... The, the, the key to the entire story. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. They checked out the bread, but they didn't check with the Lord. And so they believed the law and made a binding covenant or a treaty with them in the name of the Lord. And once again, they have compromised. They have compromised. What's, what's their instruction? Their instructions is to wipe everybody out. That's their instructions, but they have compromised with this group of people. And the feeling I get, the feeling I get from this verse is that 
if they had inquired of God, if they had talked to God, if they had gone to him and said, here's the situation, what would you have us do? He would have revealed his will and revealed what was going on. And so now you have, and it's starting in verse 15 again, you see that they're going to figure out what's going on. So let's pick up in verse 15 and read through the end of our story here. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified the oath. Three days after they had made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out on the third day, came to their city, Gibeon. Uh, we'll go to verse 18. We'll skip the names. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord of the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leaders promised so the leader's promise to them was kept. We'll stop right there because basically the, the rest of the story basically kind of repeats that idea over and over. So the, the, the lie doesn't last long. It takes them three days to figure out what's happened. But the damage, if you will, is already done. In fact, we see that only three days later, they discover what's going on. They march up to confront the, uh, the Gibeonites and they basically say, look, you can't do anything because this agreement is in place. Now, I think it's important to realize that you know, I think, this is just Matthew, I think that to a degree God is still protecting them, the Gibeonites, if you will, because on some level they recognized God and submitted to Him. They recognized the power of God and they figure out a way to protect themselves from that power. And so because they did that, God, you know, the, they entered into a covenant under the name of God and God's protection was upon them. As a matter of fact, if you fast forward, if you fast forward 400 years, there is a time where King Saul is fixing to attack the Gibeonites and he's wanting to wipe them out. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 21. And he is reminded, he is reminded of this. And, and as he goes ahead and does this, Saul's house is severely punished for the breach of the covenant. So this was a serious covenant that lasted for a long time. So that's the story. Okay, that's the story. But what can we learn from this story? What can we learn from this story? Well, the first thing that I want you to think about as we think about this story is always pray before making a decision. Always pray before making a decision. I believe firmly that God wants to guide us into making the best decisions possible for our life. Now, what I think happens in our life a lot of times is that we have little decisions that we think we're capable of making, and then we're going to need God for the big ones, okay? We got these things over here that we can handle and we can deal with and we can overcome on our own, and we've got these other problems over here that, okay, we need God's help. But the truth of the matter is in every decision that we make, I think it is beneficial to spend time talking to God. Now, we don't need to be so, we don't need to be so, um, plugged in, not plugged in. We don't need to be so adamant about prayer. 
that prayer gets in the way of serving God. Does that make sense? We don't need to be so adamant about prayer that we spend so much time praying that all we do is pray and we don't ever act. But we do need to make prayer the first thing that we do in any moment of, 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 of service, of decision-making. Talk to God about it. Sometimes just taking the night before a big decision and just spending time talking to God, God's going to clear your mind. He's going to give you direction. He's, he's going to maybe help you answer questions. He's going to put you in a different direction maybe altogether. Talking to God is something that we always need to do. But here's the second thing. When you make a poor decision, act with integrity. When you make a poor decision, act with integrity. You know, Joshua did something that wasn't real smart here. Joshua made a decision on his own with the guidance of, of his elders, of his leaders, okay, uh, of the people that were leading the people of Israel. And on the outside, I understand the decision. I really do. I get it, all right? I get the fact that here is a group of people that everything that they saw with their own eyes, everything they saw with their own eyes matched the story. It looked real. It looked true. And so they thought they were doing the benevolent thing. They were doing the loving thing, the caring thing, and allowing these people to come in and live with them. And on the outside, that makes sense. But it was still the wrong decision because it broke the direction that God had give them, given them in the first place. But what I appreciate about Joshua in this particular story is that he made a bad decision. And even though he made a bad decision, he still lived with that decision. He still honored that decision. It's, it's not cool for us to make a decision. It'd be a bad decision and go, oh, well, sorry, that was a bad decision. I'm not going to hold to that. I know I made you a promise, but it was a bad promise. It benefits you more than it benefits me. I'm not going to hold to that promise anymore. No. Uh, when you make a poor decision, own up to it and act with integrity. And then the last thing, trust God to work things for the best. Trust God to work things for the best. We've often have the idea that if we miss or disobey God's guidance at one point in our life, we're off track and subject to plan B for the rest of our life. We feel like God has this wonderful plan for our life and we, you know, miss the clues and we staggered about in misery and, you know, we, we just, we just let everything get away. But that's simply not true. God is there to redeem our decisions to make something beautiful out of them, to continue to love and restore and bring blessings and wholeness. It goes back to that line that you've heard me say before, that God's grace makes our mistakes look like part of the plan. And understand that even when we do mess up, when we do fall flat on our face, man, when we make those decisions that just, I mean, we have just boogered up. God has a way of turning those mistakes into ministries. He has a way of taking those poor decisions and putting us in position to learn from those and to reach others who make those same mistakes and decisions. We all make decisions every day, some large, some small. The story in Joshua chapter 9 reminds me of the need to constantly seek God's guidance, God's guidance walk with Him all of the time, and trust Him to reveal what decisions Will be, will, will be best. We need to involve God in our daily lives. It also shows the need to live with integrity and follow through when we've made bad commitments. 
And most hopefully, I see how God blessed the Israelites for following through the commitment that they had made. Even though it wasn't the wisest course of action, He still blessed them. Thank you for taking time to be with us tonight and study with us. I want you to know that if there's ever a time that you need anything, if you need to share what you're struggling with, if you need help with decisions that you've made in your life that maybe haven't been the best, always know that my door is open, my phone is on. I'm always here for you if you ever need anything. We thank you for your time tonight. May God bless you. May you have a great wet rest of the week. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for